You're listening to the Fresh Takes on Tech podcast, a show from the International Fresh Produce Association. This is a show for people interested in the intersection between technology and the produce and floral industries. Every week, we explore the problems, solutions, people, and ideas that are shaping the industry. If you are interested in the innovations that create change, this is the place for you. Let's dive in. Hello, I'm Bonnie Estes, your host of Fresh Takes on Tech. This season, we're highlighting companies in the Fresh Field Catalyst Accelerator. The Accelerator is a six-month program bringing new technology to the produce industry. For more information on the Accelerator, you can either contact me or you can go to freshproduce.com. Our guests today are Caitlin Fitzgerald, the uh, newly appointed, congratulations on your promotion, um, Vice President of Sustainability at Sound Agriculture, and Dorn Winninger, Senior Vice President of Produce from UNFI. Um, UNFI, if you don't know, is North America's premier food wholesaler. Dorn is also on the board of of directors for IFPA. Caitlin and Sound are both in the Accelerator, and Dorn is her mentor in the program. Our topic is technology as a means for delivering consumer value. This is a topic near and dear to both of your hearts uh, in the produce industry. So let's start with Caitlin. To, to give people some context, tell us what Sound is working on and what you are bringing to the produce industry. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. So Sound is on a mission to create on-demand crop solutions to lead to healthier, tastier, more sustainable food. And we do that through two complementary platforms that both can influence how we farm and and what we eat. So specific to the produce industry, I'm most excited about the potential of our on-demand breeding platform. And that's a way we can help modernize plant breeding to develop unique non-GMO produce at a fraction of the time and cost of alternative approaches. So we leverage the inherent genetics of the plant and we can tune specific targets to meet consumer needs across attributes like flavor, texture, color, and nutritional value. And to help bring that to life a little bit, what we're really trying to tackle with one of our first concepts is breeding a better tomato. So a lot of times, and especially out of season, supermarket tomatoes are really bland, mealy, gross. And we've all had that perfect summer farmer's market tomato that delivers superior flavor. So Sound really wants to recreate that experience year-round with our Summer Swell product concept. We're using on-demand breeding to extend the window of peak flavor and shelf life of an heirloom variety to allow for greater durability and versatility in the supply chain. And we took that concept from first idea to prototype in just four months. So we've got some early consumer feedback, and we're really excited about ramping up production on that. Wow, that's exciting, four months. So just to put a... a Finer point on that. So how do you see your technology addressing some of the known consumer pain points? Yeah, so we're really trying to look at key consumer trends, uh, snackable produce, uh, more sustainable produce, and delivering targeted trait attributes around those trends. So the tomato concept is an early stage, and then we have a product pipeline we're working on to deliver flavor, shelf life, sustainability, and things like that. Excellent. So, Dorm, how do you see this technology and other technologies addressing some of the consumer pain points? Yeah, thanks, Vani. It's uh, been a lot of fun for me to work with Caitlin. 
Um, I've been in the produce industry for 30 years, and I'm, I'm much more familiar with uh, conventional plant breeding from my time with Driscoll's or, of course, all the GMO. Um, for the last half of my career, I've been um, either selling as a retailer or right now selling to thousands of independent retailers. And Bonnie, as you go through the research, every single time the consumer will tell you that the number one attribute that they're looking for is freshness. Now, freshness is pretty broad. And um, as you dig down to it, really what they want is they want consistency and they want great tasting. And, and what upsets them most is one, if they have a bad experience, and two, is the variability that they have. And so it's been a lot of fun working with Caitlin and, and understanding and learning from her, I'm supposed to be the mentor, about how, are, how they're bringing better shelf life and better eating uh, experiences. And at the end of the day, that's what the consumer is asking for. They're asking for a great experience and they're asking for to not have the variability, which is the largest complaint. So I think some of these technologies can bring product much quicker and is addressing very specifically uh, eating characteristics and shelf. So Jordan, sticking with you, how can we address pain points that consumers don't know they have either in the supply chain or in growing and, and things that they don't know that they have, but they are pain points in the industry. Yeah, um, we have lots of suppliers talk to us about a new variety and maybe it lasts a little longer. It's got a different flavor and it's kind of interesting. Um, so, so one of the things a consumer won't tell you that um, they want shelf life. Um, but what they will tell you is that the number and one attribute is freshness. And frequently they'll say that how long it lasts in my home. Um, I'm fanatical about giving days of freshness back to the consumer. And that's either through better cold chain, uh, new technologies, better varieties, or it could be as simple as holding less, less days on hand on inventory. And so while the consumer may not say that she wants a tomato that has great shelf life, she absolutely says that I am frustrated when it doesn't last in my home. So this, this is kind of hitting it. The second thing that consumers say is, is they want, when they say freshness, what they really mean is great eating quality. And we, while they may not tell you in their own words, I want a peach that has um, citrus characteristics in it, or that I want uh, a pineapple that has a different color. They may not say that themselves, but what they, what they will say is, when I eat a peach and it's great, then I buy more peaches. Or when I eat a golden kiwi and it surprised me, now I'm buying golden kiwis. And they'll tell you the reverse, um, Bonnie. They'll say, uh, I had blackberries that I didn't like and I'm not going back to buy blackberries. And so while they may not know it and express it, what we absolutely know is hitting number one on freshness and number two on the eating quality or the experience. It was what brings consumers back to purchase more produce. So, Caitlin, I know that uh, Sound has done some focus groups in this area and really looking at these different consumer pain points. What have you found in, in some of your consumer groups? Yeah, so we conducted a consumer panel, which was really fun because it was my first time going through that experience. And it was designed to kind of explore those key value props and use cases for tomatoes and then compare how our tomato performed on flavor and appearance. And so the thing that really stuck out to me the most was how much the visual cues can really drive those assumptions around quality. So we had consumers who are primed to buy based on appearance, but they don't know how unflavorable their tomato can be until they taste them side by side. So they looked at our tomato and there's some obvious visual differences that uh, 
like a vibrant pink, pink red color instead of that traditional fire engine red. There's some irregularities because it's an heirloom. And those were perceived as negative for the consumer. But across the board, after they tasted it, the t- tomato stood out as superior flavor, sweeter, more interesting. And over three quarters preferred the summer swell at the end of the day. So for us, that's a huge challenge because consumers buy with their eyes, but we have to get them to try the tomato. And then as Dorn was saying, once you try something and you like it, you, you come back and buy it again. Yeah, that is a challenge because if people are going to make that assumption, they somehow you have to get them to try it. So how do you think about that in, in marketing? How would you market that to get them to get to do that first trial and then come back and buy more? Yeah, I think part of the challenge for us with COVID in particular is the sampling process has gone away. So we're trying to get creative of ways we can induce trial with consumers. And the other part is building a brand or a story around the tomato. Why is it different? If you put a tomato out in a commodity bulk bin, the, t- the consumer doesn't know that it's different than what else is in there. So we're trying to explore different packaging, different prompts, and then exploring how we can partner with retailers to better tell that story as well. So one of the biggest things we want to do at the International Fresh Produce Association and in the produce industry is to increase availability and consumption of produce. So how do you see technology is addressing this? Caitlin, we can start with you. Yeah, so I think for us, technology is really an opportunity to delight the senses. So we can invest in traits and genetics that um, have unique or interesting appearances that can help draw that buzz, induce that trial, and then follow up with something that's really flavorful and tasty so that there's repeat purchase. And accessibility is another key thing that technology can drive because it makes it more ubiquitous, cheaper food for consumers. Dorn, how about you? you? You touched on this a little bit as far as shelf life, but what are some other things that we can do? Yeah. Um, as you look at the research, consumers know that produce is good for them. Um, so the irony is we, we don't have to tell shoppers that it is good to eat more fruits and vegetables. So what, what keeps people from eating fruits and vegetables is either price, um, the perception that uh, there's too much variability in it, or that they don't love the experience. And so um, all the things that Caitlin is talking about on, on technology are actually hitting on those three major aspects that will get consumers to buy more produce. Um, I, I, I'm really love trying to give shoppers great value. And um, in some ways, the better that we use technology to produce produce at an affordable means and getting it to shoppers to hit great price points. As a retailer, you learn a lot about hitting price points that hit elasticity to drive more consumption. And as long as that consumption is is great and a good experience, then people go back. Um, I, I myself, I've been doing this for 30 years. And um, when I eat a great peach, I buy more peaches, absolutely, and as does my family. And and um, so I think technology, by focusing more on flavor and what Caitlin's doing, and as well as what's happening across the industry, you'll see that a, a higher focus on the eating experience and making sure that in the in-home experience is positive. And our research would say that that's what drives the consumer to come back and buy more. I think there's an opportunity to meet the consumer where they are too. So one of the things that we've been exploring is how do we put together recipes or inspirations? You're not just handing a consumer a tomato, you're telling them what to go do with that tomato as well. Charcuterie boards was one that came up a lot in our focus group is something that people got excited about for entertaining. So how do we put the tomato on a charcuterie board or 
provide some sort of inspiration for use. So Caitlin, how can technology help to drive demand for produce that's grown in a more environmentally friendly way? Yeah, so one framework for thinking about driving demand or really driving behavior change is the FOG behavior model, which essentially states that behavior only changes when three core elements converge, motivation, ability, and some sort of trigger or impulse. So a consumer might be open to buying a great tasting or environmentally friendly tomato, but they might lack one of those key elements. And technology can really be that linchpin or tool to help unlock that ability piece of the equation. So making sure that we deliver great tasting, unique, and economically competitive products. So for sound, that's breeding better varieties that can allow growers to produce more food with less inputs and help drive the economics behind that. And you can start stacking on data, robotics, sustainable inputs, and some of the other technology that's represented in the Fresh Catalyst cohort to help unlock that behavior change and drive demand. Because at the end of the day, you can have the most amazing tasting fruit and vegetable, but if it can't be grown economically, it never makes it to the store. So I think looking all the way back upstream to the grower, there's a lot of value that can be unlocked for the consumer at the other end. So Dorn, whose job is it to communicate to consumers? If, if we've got a more a product that's grown more sustainably, are there some other attribute, positive attribute Whose job is it to communicate that? Um, is it retailers and then they, sh- you know, pull it through? Or is it are the company's jobs to make the consumers more knowledgeable so, so they come in and, and search for that different product? How do you work with new products and new innovation this way? Yeah, so it, it, in some extent, we, the retailers, are the ones who have the last interaction with the consumer and the shopper. And so um, in, in some sense, it, it falls on us. But but you have to remember, an average supermarket has tens of thousands of items in it. And even in the produce department, the average produce department has hundreds of items. And of those items, um, usually there are multiple producers of the same item absolutely during the course of a year and maybe even at any given time. So in, in one sense, it's, it's not realistic to believe that the retailer is going to be the one that is capable of educating the consumer, in particular on on lots of new innovation. Now, there's a caveat to that, Bonnie. All retailers love new. Um, As buyers, we are seeking innovation. We want to surprise and delight. We want to be first to market. We want to give our shoppers something that is unique. So in some sense, um, while I don't believe that it, it falls solely on the retailer, um, retailers are exciting and can be a great partner, in particular when it's something unique or special. Um, I also think that uh, it, it, it's challenging when you have hundreds of SKUs. Um, if you think historically, the produce department has been binary, conventional or organic. The consumer wouldn't say conventional. Uh, the consumer would say organic or not organic. But uh, um And attempts to try and communicate things that aren't organic or conventional become hard. Now, the CEA movement, um, uh, Controlled Environment Agriculture, is starting to change that a little bit. And uh, you're starting to see some success around um, uh, pesticide-free. Absolutely local would fit within that as well. So, So local and organic are kind of the holy grails or the most easiest for the consumer to understand. Um, uh, studies would say they, they get confused when you start talking otherwise. Now, of course, one of the challenges to all this is the easiest way to communicate is on the package. 
And of course, right now, there's a whole move to try and have less packaging or at a minimum. Um, I'm a big believer that packaging is important in the world of produce, that it's even more important when you have a differentiated product, something that is unique or special. Um, and then the trick is to communicate that in a sustainable way. And I think we'll be seeing more and more sustainable packaging, um, you know, or organic as an example, is the only way for the consumer to know that it's organic is to somehow tell them. Um, even a produce expert would not be able to tell you the difference between an organic and a conventional. And therefore, it must be, be signed. Lastly, I think um, you see certain retailers that make their mark by standing for something. Um, so you, you have great chains that are only organic. Um, uh, Mom's Organic is a great shop in uh, Washington, D.C., near where I um, live, and they're also one of our, our, our customers. And all the produce is organic. And so there, there it's very simple because the messaging is clear. Where you have higher end, where they're talking, where, where their brands themselves stand for sustainability, and hence they're looking for more sustainable. And then you see other chains that are, are more price conscious. And while they may believe in sustainable, what they're really, uh, their position is, is having that opening price point, high affordability and great value. Um, so in some ways, um, the buyer selects their catalog based on what that retail proposition of the overall brand of the store that they're trying to communicate. And so choosing the right catalog based on what the characteristics of the supplier or the product themselves are, um, ought to fit into that catalog. Yeah, there's where well, there's so much in there. Um, I I think you know the retailers people go to the the store that they go to because they have some amount of trust, and so you are the like you're the gatekeeper because people go there and they expect a, a certain you know either price point or organic or quality or freshness or something, and so so the they have trust in their retailer and. So they, you are the gatekeeper of, of different products that come in. But if you're trying to bring something in, new in, you know, like Caitlin was saying, then is it up to, um, say, like with sound, is it up to them to, to create a lot of awareness around a brand that kind of pulls it through? Like, do you have that expectation that, that produce companies should have a, a brand that helps you sell? You know, at the end of the day, there's very few brands that the consumer... Um, actually knows in the world of produce. I, I actually worked for two of them. I worked for Driscoll Strawberries and I worked for Chiquita Bananas for um, half of my career. Yeah, those are two. <laughs> those, those are two of them. And there's a half dozen other ones. And there's some that are coming up. Um, Caitlin and I talked about one of the most important things in creating a brand is um, or, or awareness, whether it's, a, whether it's a brand or it's awareness or whatever it is about the item is having uh, consistency in the marketplace. It's very hard to create awareness of a product that is only in the marketplace for a short amount of time. So when Cotton Candy Grapes, which is not a brand, it's a variety, but when Cotton Candy Grapes first came out, they were available in such limited numbers that the average consumer didn't even know. Um, and so, of course, there's a little bit of the challenge of ramping this up in chicken and egg is how does the consumer know that cotton candy grapes are different if they were in so limited availability that the average consumer wouldn't get them very frequently or very often. And so I think cotton candy grapes is a great example um, that over the time, now the consumer knows it, looks for it, and is willing to pay a premium over a, a standard uh, green grape. And, and But the trick is 
they had to let the consumer know. And, and generally that's a partnership. It's done with the grower shipper. It's done whoever is uh, controls that product, whether it's the genetics or the genes of the plant. And the, and the retailers, frequently there's premium retailers that want to participate in that that are happy to be early adopters because that's part of their value proposition and their brand. Um, and so in particular in the early stages, I, I think it's a partnership between in this case, it would be sound and those retailers um, to help create awareness out of something that the consumer is not expecting or doesn't even know exists. It's funny you bring up cotton candy grapes, Dorn, because that was the concept that came up across every session of our focus group. That was the one item that all, all the consumers could name. And it's an area that we look to for inspiration as we think about how we want to delight consumers and tell our story. That's interesting that it's that well known, and it's not it's not a brand, right? Is it? It's a variety that everybody can has access to to grow. Smart licensing on whoever created that. <laughs> yeah, it, that's that's interesting. Hmm. So, um, Caitlin, looking, you've touched a little bit on some of the the traits and the attributes that you're looking at, but looking specifically at some of the crop traits. What are the ones that you've found uh, most important to consumers, both from an explicit and an implicit value propositions? Yeah, I mean, we've talked around this a bunch, but I'd say t- across the board, taste is king. And it, if a product doesn't taste good, people aren't going to buy it. And this isn't unique to produce. You're seeing the same thing in alternative protein and some of the other burgeoning areas in food and ag. Um, but that's an area that we see a lot of opportunity. And especially as we think through delivering really unique type of caramel notes for a berry or different um, flavors for a tomato. So adding differentiation in the space. We're also seeing a lot of continued growth around trends in snackables and sustainability. And so that's really unlocking things like convenience, whether that's fresh cut items, on the go sizing, meal pairings. These are things that can help drive consumers back to the fresh market. And we've seen that with baby carrots. We've seen that in the citrus category. When you start to introduce innovations like that, you're actually driving per capita consumption forward. We look at Cosmic Crisp as another case study of an apple variety that looked to deliver on flavor and shelf life. And within just a couple years of its release, it's already a top five variety now. But beyond those types of attributes, I think appearance and nutrition are equally important, but more implicit value props for us. We talked a little bit about how consumers buy with their eyes. So making a flavorful product isn't enough to necessarily trigger that initial uh, purchase. And then we've talked also around fruit and vegetables having that health halo effect already. So it doesn't mean that there is an opportunity there. But I think as we think through food as medicine and some of those other trends, there's a roadmap to enhance nutrition in fruit and veg, but it would be a lower priority relative to some of the other areas we're focused on near term. So the things that you're looking on, that you're working on the most now are the taste and appearance aspects. Is that correct then? Yeah, I'd say taste, appearance, and sustainability would be kind of top three. Doran, what do you think about some of the, the, the top areas that consumers would be interested in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, appearance, flavor. You know, everyone asks, uh, what about superfoods and what about um, uh, the, the health benefits? Um, I, I believe there will become a time where... Um, people are eating foods that are even more healthy um, and that is part of the breeding. But, but in one sense, in, in the short term, meaning three to five year window, we should all eat more broccoli. We should all eat more fruits and vegetables. We should all eat more fresh vegetables. 
Um, and, and the shopper knows that. Of all socioeconomic levels, um, the, the, the shopper will tell you, I know that broccoli is good for me. In, in some sense, you don't have to tell them. And, and while in, in many consumers know about the superfoods, you know, these the dark colors and whatever. And so trying to, to have varieties that are even more super, in someday, I, I suspect we may get there. But, it, but in one sense, the consumer already is, knows that. And so the reason they're not buying is more from taste or, or um, experience. So, so I think the technologies that are coming out today are very applicable in that, that they don't necessarily have to clout or, or tout that they are, are really, really healthy. It's just um, that they're good. So uh, there's trends in, in sizes. You're seeing both smalls and larges, um, you, you know, the mini versions of things. Um, in, the, in the melon space, the personal melons are doing, uh, are on fire. Um, the specialty melons are on fire. Um, you see larger, so larger blueberries, as an example. Um, uh, you see different colors. Um, of course, on the colors on the outside appearance, that's, that's helpful. Um, because the consumer can actually see that, um, you know, the inside, it's, it's much more challenging, you know, uh, as you look at a, a blood orange or a caracara, um, the trick is how does, how do you let the consumer know when they can't really tell in some sense, a sumo is an easier, um, citrus to sell because it's so visually different than the blood oranges in some ways. Um, you know, Del Monte has launched the, the, the pink pineapple. I think it's a great product. Um, but the trick is, uh, from the outside, it looks the same. And so for the consumer, um, the same thing on melons on the inside color. Um, so one of the biggest struggles is how to educate the consumer and how this consumer, and even in the store, how do you have the store associate know which one is which, uh, even at the ring at the register. Um, so the, these higher-end products tend to have a higher um, price tag. And if you don't get it right at the register, then the, the store itself is actually losing margin. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, this time of year with all, I melons are my favorite uh, this time of year. And I, I'm always confused, you know, so I'm always asking, what color is this inside? You know? <laughs> but yeah, it is, um, there's, it, it's amazing how many different melons are now, you know, coming out of different colors. And you just, it's so hard to tell. They, you know, they all look like cantaloupes from the outside. <laughs> yeah. Um, so generally speaking, consumers will say they want to eat better and live more sustainably. And I'm sure, you know, you hear that this, everybody says that, but Caitlin, in what you've seen, how is this actually playing out in their behavior and what are the barriers that, that keep them from living and buying more sustainably? I mean, I think we definitely see consumers willing to try new produce items or you wouldn't see the introductions that happen every year. So the expansion of the melon category, the different sugar bombs, flavor bombs, and things in tomatoes. But at the same time, we hear about consumer willingness to pay for sustainability and health and wellness intentions in surveys. And that doesn't always necessarily translate to key concrete behavior. Um, and especially in an inflationary environment where there's these trade-offs that consumers are making now to stretch their dollars. So I think going back to the top of the discussion, price quality, hitting on specific needs. Those are the things that we need to address and some of the biggest barriers that consumers are facing today. How about you, Dorn? What do you see that um, are some of the barriers of getting people to eat better and, and live more sustainably? So a couple of things. Number one is uh, COVID was good for the produce industry. Um, so um, COVID made all of us more health conscious. 
Um, historically, we all knew we should eat more fruits and vegetables. Um, but if, if you looked at the, the people who had the biggest health problems affected by COVID, um, it tend to be affected by obesity or um, it tend to be affected by other health issues. And generally, um, the consumption of fruits and vegetables uh, went up with COVID and there's a higher awareness of one's uh, current health could have an impact um, on their current existence and health, not just affect you 10 or 15 years down the road, uh, number one. So in some sense, that's good. Um, people are more health conscious. Um, inflation uh, has, over the last months, has has been challenging, um, not just in produce across the whole industry, but generally, uh, light inflation tends to be good from a retailer or from a supplier, grower, shipper. Um, because you sell the same number of units and you get a little bit of inflation and it's good for the top line dollars. Um, what what happened in uh, 2022 is that the inflation skyrocketed. We've had unprecedented levels of inflation. Um, it was kind of pent up and it has passed to the consumer. And in particular, over the last three to four months, um, uh, depends on the category, there has been staggering inflation in, in things like onions and potatoes over the last um, couple of months in particular, to the point of really driving down uh, units. Um, and so uh, over, the, over the short-term period, um, this, is, this is absolutely top of mind. Um, I am bullish on produce uh, on, a, on a medium term and long term. There's no doubt in my mind uh, produce is a great space to be in. It will outpace um, uh, other growth industries. Um, but like everyone else, we're, we're struggling to find our way through there. Um, so what we're focused on a lot is how do you look at those price points, is really looking at what is the price point that is accessible to the consumer, should you downsize, um, where to invest, um, investing in elastic items, um, so taking less margin to hit certain price points to uh, stimulate um, consumption. Uh, and I think you'll see retailers really be much more deliberate about what they're putting on ad. Um, also using Mother Nature. Um, inflation is an interesting thing, but Mother Nature trumps everything. And when there's a flush of crop, uh, I think you'll see that um, helping keep, keep a check on inflation because inflation is absolutely affecting the, the total produce department on a macro level. And the trick will be how do you work on an individual micro level on certain crops that are doing well um, and staying away from, there's been struggles on potatoes and onions, for example, and so you're seeing much less uh, promotional activity than historically on those categories. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of times food is kind of inflation-proof um, and produce even more so, but I think this this particular time, it, it does seem like it's a little bit more difficult. So Caitlin, you've participated in the Freshfield Catalyst um, Accelerator program. We've, it's been great to have you. What has the experience been like for you? Bonnie, this has been an amazing experience. It has massively compressed our learning curve for ramping up in the produce space. I think the Immersion Week kickoff was a great opportunity to see a pretty wide swath of the industry and start networking both within participants with the chain as well as our cohort. And then just throughout the program, the access to the thought leaders, the education, having Doran as a great mentor, it's all been really additive. So 
I'm looking forward to a great capstone event with the Global Produce Show in October and couldn't recommend it enough if you guys are having another cohort next year. Great. Thanks. Uh, one last question for you, Dorn. So um, UNFI has a focus on technology. I was just reading recently an article that came out about your focus on technology. So what are three things that you think technology could do that would make um, better produce for the you and for the consumer? Yeah, so um, I would say that over my 30 years in produce, that CEA is definitely um, coming to maturity. And so while greenhouses, vertical farming, local farming, and all the different aspects of um, controlled environment agriculture has been maturing for years and years and years, it is absolutely become economically viable right now. There is a space that is going crazy. And, and if you remember, the consumer, what she wants is freshness. That is what she tells you over and over and over again. And so done right, if it's economically viable, CEA, there is nothing better. Anyone in the produce industry knows there's nothing better than eating produce in the field. And if you can bring the field close to the consumer, and you're giving these incredible days of freshness, incredible shelf life. Um, and so it's a space that I'm active in and uh, participating and engage with many suppliers. Um, I think it's going to flourish. I think it's going to be highly, highly competitive. Um, it's a crowded space. Um, but uh, that's probably number one on my list. Um, number two is flavor. Um you know, if you look at everything that's happened in the tomato industry, in the microgreens industry, uh, some of what's coming out of the CEA, uh, the varietal work, um, uh, produce tastes better today um, than it did before. And over, you know, the, the course of the last 10 years, there's been a focus on foodies, on local, on farmers markets, on sustainability, um, and much less so when I started out 30 years ago in the 90s on, on yields and uh, price points. That's not to say price point is not important. Uh, the consumer, absolutely, in particular right now in this year of high inflation, um, I think hitting certain price points is important. But what you're seeing is um, these technologies hitting price points that are um, affordable and uh, premiums within reach. Um, if you look at organics, just as an example, organics have been on a roll for the last five years, um, uh, outpacing conventional growth uh, for the last five years in a row. And um, so I think taste um, difference, uh, if you look at categories that are growing right now, specialty, specialty potatoes, for example, um, value added is growing. Uh, right now, cut fruit is on fire. That's partially because it went down during COVID. Um, and those are categories that in the retail store are, are doing really well. And then I guess the last piece is just, it's a little less sexy, but it's probably one of the most important is giving days of freshness back to the consumer. And so um, you're seeing technology, whether it's on coatings, whether it's on uh, post-harvest applications, whether it's on um, using data to um, have less variability in the process, um, everything from appeal to something like um, technology on quality control systems. What you're seeing is all of that converging. Um, that individually, maybe they don't change change it for the consumer, 
but collectively, when you start putting multiple uh, of these technologies um, together in categories together, what's, what's happening and what I spent my day doing is driving out the variability. How do, how do I use data? How do I use technology to um, drive out variability on, on each one individually so that collectively the consumer starts having a better experience? And uh, technologies absolutely are having uh, a place in that for freshness. That's a great answer. Thank you very much. And thank you to Caitlin, to you as well, for being part of the program and being part of this podcast. And it's really been great to talk to both of you. Thanks a lot. The International Fresh Produce Association is bringing new technology to solve industry's big challenges through the new Fresh Field Catalyst Accelerator. The six-month immersive program works with technology companies outside of produce and floral to experience the challenges in our industry and develop innovative solutions for a healthier world. Applications are due April 4th. Find out more at freshproduce.com. You've been listening to Fresh Takes on Tech, a podcast from the International Fresh Produce Association. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us keep delivering the latest on produce technology. Thank you for listening. Until next time.